What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Lockdown Nuggets podcast, part of the Lockdown NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Matis from DNVR, and I'm joined by my co-host from senior NBA writer for the Action Network, Matt Moore. Matt, what's happening? Not much, man. Just hanging out, continuing social distancing, uh, arguing with you about when the days of the week start, apparently. I This is one of those ones of those- where I had no idea people saw this differently this is no, part of what's it, so crazy this is what's incredible. It's like we just no one had talked about it because we all assumed <laughs> everyone thought the same way <laughs> exactly we all just made assumptions that we we're all operating on the same calendar so the debate is whether sunday is the first day of the week or the last day of the week i am adamant that it is the first you are adamant that it is the last day of the week yeah i think uh a lot of this gets into just the reality of um I think so much of this comes down to do you think like well one I'm noticing that a lot of folks that uh, are religious tend to go towards Sunday as the first day which I think is 100% yeah that's that's Um, what I've arrived at as well yeah I've had like a bunch of friends that are like well because of this that and the other Um, I'm just it's just very confusing for me because if I ask somebody like um, hey, you said you had some stuff going on at the beginning of last week. What was going on? They would say, oh, well, on Monday I had this bad meeting with my boss or on Monday this, that. I saw you yep. saying that, and it's funny to me because 100% I would think I would start with Sunday. I'd be like, well, that's let's see. That's just That doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, and look, you know, Pat the argument on Twitter about like what weekend means, and people think, like, yeah, because it end, the week is ended by both ends. I'm like, it doesn't say the week ends. It's not multiple. <laughs> There's no multiple. It's just the end of the week. Like, the end of the week is the weekend, um, and, and the end of the week is Saturday and Sunday. Like, okay, so the calendars have been mentioned as the big reason for this. Well, the calendar starts with Sunday. Well, one, I move my, I, I move my Sundays to, um, uh, I, I move my calendars to where they start on Monday because that's, that's what crazy. makes sense. And <laughs> there just doesn't seem to be any sort of reason for this whatsoever to me. Like, okay, sun, it, it's it's Sunday. And part of it is like, all right, the, 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 the Christians basically moved the Sabbath to Sunday. And that's when Christ rose. So it changed it. Yeah. Right. But it's still meant to be the Sabbath, which is like the seventh day he rested. Well, that's, like, that's how it was in the Old close. Testament. The New Testament broke the covenant, Matt. Come on, man. Let's get your theology right. <laughs> but, like, I just don't understand. Like, nothing's open. So the, the idea is then that you have these two days where you do the same thing, but they mean different things in terms of the week. And so in that model, you have this idea of, okay, I end the week with a day off, and then I start the week with a day in which nothing is open. You prepare for it. It's Close. like there's a prologue and an epilogue to the week. A prologue? Yeah, Sunday's like the prologue, Saturday's the epilogue, and then That's Monday the through Friday is... Prologue imaginable. <laughs> it is. Like, you get up, you go to church, or you just sit around <laughs> Nothing's open. Like, I'm sure church is enjoyable, but I'm just saying, we don't do anything on Sundays. Sundays is the day of rest. Why would you start your week? You don't start something with nothing. You start with something. You start on Mondays because that's when the week starts. I'm telling you, man, this is, it really, I I am convinced that it comes down to, like, how you grew up and, like, what your week schedule was. Because for me, it really was, like, my weekend was just Saturday. Because that was the one free day. Like Sunday, it was tr- you're you're up early. You're getting dressed in formal clothes you don't want to be in. You're going to church. You're probably doing a church event afterward. Like it was an all day. You know, you were scheduled. It wasn't a free day. That was like a day you had things going on. So for me, Saturday that was the end of it. Sunday started up basically the obligations. 
it is insane to me because for me, um, and people have pointed out like, like people made the argument about how it's bad because I was like, well, this is like the capitalist thing of the work and blah blah blah. I'm like, look, <laughs> eat, eat, like for me, I want the week to start on a Monday. Like I will continue to choose to believe the week starts on a Monday because like that's when you start work. Like that's when you do your productive. <laughs> you want. Like you, you wake up on Monday and you're like, I'm going to do something with my life versus like Sunday. It's like, I have social obligations or religious obligations to fill. Nothing's open. Here, and then like, here's just- a, here, here's another big one though, for you to counter you. What is the day that, what is the middle of the week? The middle of the week. Yeah. I mean, we call it hump day. We call days. we call it like, hump day. Cause it's the middle. It's like the hump. Yeah, and, I, I understand that argument. But for me, it's also like, well, like one, the middle, it's a, we, we have seven days, so it's an odd number. So this is like a weird... No, it's perfect. There's three days on each side of it. It's like the perfect middle. <laughs> I understand that argument, but like, it's like hump day is Wednesday because like that's the middle of the work week. It's the versus, middle of and both. Then, and then like, well, no, but that's the whole thing is you have the week, you have the week, and then you have the weekends. Because that's how we divide it. It's like your weeks and weekends. We talk about that that way. We talk about like... Like, what do you do with your weeks? What do you do with your weekends? And now we all do the same things every day, so nothing really matters. That's the best part about it. Well, yeah, that's true. In a point in time which there are, <laughs> there is no church, there are no weeks, there is no time. At DNVR, so. we're doing these watch parties, and honestly, the only days of the week are, is it a sports day or love is blind day? That's the only, because <laughs> we alternate, and that's the only day there are. There's two days of the week right now. Um, it, it's pretty wild. Another thing... So we've been talking a lot about one-on-one right now, one-on-one tournaments, and CJ McCollum, I don't know if it's like, don't you ever sometimes feel like this, Matt, where you put something out, and whether somebody saw it or not, it just like starts to like permeate into everybody's conversation. So CJ McCollum now, I don't know if he has commented on the Action Network's event. And has he? Do you know? Has he publicly commented on it at all? He is not. I tagged only two players. Okay. Um, I tagged Spencer Dinwiddie, and I tagged CJ McCollum. I am not a player tagger. Okay. I do, uh, but I tagged CJ and I tagged Spencer because I was like, they're both on Twitter a lot. They both follow me. This makes sense to be like, hey, I need to know what you think about this. Like, KD follows me, but I did not tag him. <laughs> um, I did think about sending him the bracket on DMs, though. I, I, that oh, crossed yeah. my You should do like, it. He would he win, had, although he'd be, he'd be pissed. We had the whole, the whole back and forth, yeah. and I don't like, presume to think that like there's a thing there. Yeah, um, that's and It's true with what you're going to talk about with CJ, where I think that one of the things that we just basically did with the tournament is, and like I've been adamant about this with our guys, is like our idea is not revolutionary. It's not incredible. Yeah. There's a lot of debates right now on the internet about very, because people are just <laughs> pent up about quarantine. But like, there's a thing going on right now with some internet people where they're like, this was our idea and you stole it. Like, no oh, idea. Oh, right, right. Like, this does yeah. not happen. Like, everything, the internet's been around a while. Everything you've thought of has been thought of before. Yeah. Like, ev- there's no original content and certainly not a one on one, like, 2K tournament. That well, is not. Well, what I was meaning to say, though, is that you have, you know, the Action Network and, and you have really started this conversation about one-on-one. So now that it's creeped up, whether C.J. McCollum directly can cut, tie the dots there, at least I can. People are talking about one-on-one. And uh, and C.J. McCollum says that he's actually been lobbying or pitching the NBA to bring this back to or bring this to All-Star Weekend and allow players to challenge other players. And I love the challenging part of it. I am all for it because we've always talked like, oh, players would never do it. There's nothing to gain. But there is a certain player that has something to gain, and maybe maybe that's where it starts, these sort of like second-tier stars that are like, you know what? I can become a first-tier star if I go beat Kyrie at one-on-one. 
Yeah, and I think you know that the the reason they would like Kyrie is the one that maybe hate, that would hate it the most because he would just get challenged so much. Like, <laughs> yeah. I want Kyrie, and Kyrie's like, I'm, I don't have to make you. Like, why do I have to make you famous? Right, uh, exactly. But, I mean, I think it'd be great, because I just think, I, like, I, in general, hate All-Star Weekend. Um, yeah. it, All-Star yeah. Game, I like Saturday Night. And so I think adding anything that would make it better, like, especially if you put the one-on-one tournament on Friday, or the one-on-one series on Friday, it would be, I think it would be awesome. Like, put it on, uh, and have the, the have the rookies go late. Like, have the rookie sophomore game play super late those yeah. kids don't need going out they're under eight. <laughs> oh come on come on all right i love this take dad matt is in the has entered the chat <laughs> those kids need to get some sleep and rest <laughs> up eat take their vitamins don't you think the like zach levine challenges cj mccollum i just feel like those guys don't have anything to lose because whoever yeah. loses that match you're not like thinking less of them so yeah I, and I that's like it and that's compelling good. i'd watch it it would be like what if mb was like was like I challenge anybody. Like who is yeah. gonna be? Like, yeah. No, I want to get my back broke by Embiid in a one-on-one match. I That's know. A thing. Yeah. And that would be. And and but I will say th- there is the idea of like, well, what about injury? And I'm always just like, look, thinking a guy could tear is like eventually somebody's gonna suffer a career-altering injury in the All-Star Game, even as lackadaisical and pointless as it is. That's gonna happen. Like, someone's eventually going to get hurt. Also, man, these dudes aren't playing one-on-one every single day. I mean, come right. on, man. We we're, we go to practices. These guys will finish by doing that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm so for it. I if I think there could be some positive. Like, I don't want to overstate this. There's a lot of negatives coming out of this pandemic. But some of the positives, like, people are discussing some kind of out-of-the-box ideas with stuff like this, and I like it. Yeah, I think um... – I, I, I think I'm going to write a column on this. The biggest thing is that this whole situation, as horrible as it is, uh, provides an opportunity for the league to completely rethink itself. Yep. Because yep. in in every other year, you're just like, all right, well, this is what we do. Like, we don't have time to do drastic changes because we have this, that, and the other. Right. And now it's right. like you have the opportunity now to like rethink your whole model. Yeah. And I really, honestly think uh, this is the time for them to do it. For them to really consider. Um, cost efficiency maximum value like i they won't but i just badly want them to be like look we're gonna hold out and we're gonna have the playoffs whenever we need to have the playoffs because we're not gonna go a year without a champion right we're not gonna go a year without a champion if that's if that's fall that's fall um and after that we're gonna push everything back we're gonna start at christmas we're gonna go 60 games and we're gonna see how that goes for a year we're going to do – like we've had shortened seasons before with a lockout. We're going to treat this like a lockout year. Oh. One in which the players are prepped and ready and in a, yeah. like it's it's not like chaotic the way that the, the lockout seasons are. Try it for a year. If the revenue comes in and you're just like this is uninspiring, the play-in tournament or whatever we do did not work, just go back the other way. Right. But this right. is this is the a, an opportunity for them to think outside the box and just like throw everything against the wall because – um, part of it is the league doesn't really think of itself in terms of, I, I've noticed this in business a lot, just dealing with, um, various like managers in my world and in other worlds that I've dealt with. People care about opportunity a lot more than they care about the idea of trying to gain ground on missteps. So what I mean by that is like the owners might be more interested if you're like, we have an opportunity here to make more money rather than telling them, look, this is a bad system and we need to fix it. 
they're gonna be like, yeah, but it's good enough. Like everybody's <laughs> happy. We've always played this, and we make all this money. But if you pitch it as like we have an opportunity to like really attract attention because sports are gonna go through the roof because everybody's gonna be like, thank God, sports yeah, are back. Yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah. And Dana White's buying an island. Like people are really thinking outside of the box right now. So I, 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 I'm with you. I think there'll be some real changes in innovation that come out of this. So let's take a break though, and when we come back. We're going to break down. We've been doing the season review. Um, we're going to review Paul Millsap, and there's a lot to talk about with him. We'll be right back. Back here on the Locked On Nuggets podcast, I'm Adam Otis, joined by Matt Moore. Okay, so Paul Millsap had an interesting year, and it – in a lot of ways, this year should not be surprising. He missed out on an, on a, quite a few games. His numbers continued to sort of fall. Um, his minutes per game fell. He played just 24 minutes per game this year. But I still feel like he was super productive and a super important part of this team. So there's like a really mixed bag with him. What's your sort of 10,000-foot view on his season? I think he's really good. Um I'm honestly like a lot of it is I'm so beaten down by the narratives around this team in particular that yeah that there's a point where I just want to be like okay like let's just put Jeremy Grant in the starting lineup like let's just put Jeremy Grant in the starting lineup give everybody what they want let's have Michael let's let's yeah. put Jeremy Grant in the starting lineup let's have Michael Porter Jr. you know play 35 minutes like let's just give the people what they want so they will stop being like well what about this or what about this or they should be doing this or like you know it really needs to change you know you know the reality is is i've been a fan of Paul Millsap since utah like yeah. utah Paul Millsap. Yeah. and i've noticed how good he is at all the little things deflections inside stripping the ball maintaining space bumping guys off the block little finishes inside has a good like range on his shot he shot great from 3 this year um he Ex- continues to accepting his role. He's like first team all accepting your role kind of guy. Even as a star, he was that. Yeah, like he was the four time all star that they brought on who was just like, Yeah, but I'll do whatever they want. Right. Like, like he didn't come in with like, I know what and and that's and I think it's part of his it like I think that some local folks wanted a superstar, the the big free agent all star that they add to be the type of the guy that's like the team's around me now. They want that swagger, they want that like that bigger than life. And and what I really love about Millsap is he's the opposite. He's like that's not how you win basketball. Like right. that's not how you win. Like everybody's got to know what they're doing, and it's got to be what makes us the best overall. That's why he's had so much success from team to team to team. Is he's always willing to do what he's asked to do. Like Paul Millsap is the lowest maintenance all star maybe in the history of the league. He doesn't have demands. He's just like okay. Like I talked to him last year and was like, how's this league, how's this year been compared uh, in terms of like with the approach the team has? He's like, this is more attention to detail uh, than I've ever seen a team take. It wasn't a compliment. Like he was basically saying like, this team is so boneheaded that the coaches have to literally (laughs) like drill us every single day on basic concepts in order to get everybody to execute. He's like, and at his age, he's like, I don't need this. Like I just can go in and do my job. Um, But he also like he's never complained. He's never said I don't know what the coaches are doing. Like he's never he's never thrown shade at another player like ever. Like Paul just says we've got to do a better job collectively. Yeah, and yeah. he does. And it's like it'd be one thing if he had that attitude, but it's also just like look, he's strong as all hell. He's extremely he's extremely skilled. He like he's got a good handle. He's able to finish inside. He's got post up moves. His three was great this year. 
Like, I just feel like Paul Millsap does so much for you. But I'll also say, like, I think at this point I'm willing to say that he doesn't raise Jokic's ceiling. Ooh, like, that's an interesting one. He raises the floor, like, no doubt, wouldn't you say? Yep. Yeah, I agree. To, like, totally. really high heights. Like, I felt like when he's on, him and Jokic are on the court, you're a top six or seven team in the NBA, like, just on a bad night. Yeah. But, but you're, yeah. you're never going to watch a Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic lineup and be awed by their play. So true. So interesting. I don't know what to make of that either. I don't I feel like I feel like that could almost be misleading in some way. I mean, you, your ceiling does matter, but I wonder if you can have like your guy that plays 28 minutes a night that's like your floor raiser and then you have your ceiling raiser that plays maybe only 12 minutes a night, you know, in that combo and it works. I don't know. Um but I, I but, think a lot of this gets into I and mean, this is stuff that I think that you that you care a lot about is like you want to see them play great. Uh, I want to see them play not bad. Like that that's like that is honestly like a lot of it is I've watched so much basketball through the years that I've just seen like if you were consistently not bad that takes you so far because like you're going to find ways to be great in little spots and moments. Let me... I think a lot of this is because my period of like paying attention to basketball has so closely overlapped the Spurs era, which is coming to a close. But the Spurs always got great towards the end of the year. I feel like I mean you could actually see that even in their numbers. They always like became their best version going into the playoffs and these hot streaks. And let me give you a, a really specific example. Over at DNVR, we're watching uh, the 2009 playoff run. And yeah. I am blown away. First of all, how much I've like forgotten about the series, and I'm just like, oh wow, I had no idea. But the the Nuggets game balls that we've been handing out, they've been going to like, you know, some to Chauncey, some to Mello, but a lot to Birdman, J.R. Smith, just like Anthony Carter, just random guys that really play well. And it's like, oh, that's right. When J.R. Smith shoots sixty percent from three, they were really good. Or yeah. Birdman, when he has five block shots, the Nuggets are really good. And so to me, when I'm thinking about what made the 2009 team go to the Western Conference playoffs, it was their ceiling raisers, not their floor raisers. Huh. See, and that's interesting because I would say, like, look, if the floor isn't high enough, then JR can shoot 66% and it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, that's true. Like, that's my thing. Is like, that's why I would just, like, I, I will always talk about that 2009 team as if everybody's like, yeah, but Melo's 2009 run. I was like, oh, you mean Chauncey's year? Like, it really was, man. Yeah. Like, it's like, like I, I don't know. I, I know that we have different eyes, you know, like now than we did in 2009. We watched the game through different eyes. But I'm telling you, you can. It's. I, it would be very difficult for people to watch the first 10 games of this playoff run and say like, oh yeah, this was Melo's team. You know, like I mean, it's. It, he's really good. He's an incredibly talented player. But Chauncey has been pretty dominant. Right, and so, like a lot of it with it is. Um, like you mentioned, we were talking about the Spurs. A lot of it is the Spurs would play great, but they would play great collectively. And the Spurs never played at a level that left you in awe, except for 2014 in the finals, in which, like, literally, I asked Danny Green, how do you, I said, can you guys play better after game four when they were about ready to beat him in five? I was like, can you guys play better? And Danny Green said, well, yeah, I mean, we can always play better. And I, and I looked at him and I said, how <laughs> and Danny looked at me and he like looked down and he smiled he was like 
make more shots, make yeah. all the shots. I don't know. He's like, I don't know. He's like, yes. He's like, we played. He's like, we played pretty. Close it, it, well, it is kind of true. Like the process. What you were getting at is their process was about perfect. I mean, you can never be perfect to the results. Otherwise, you literally are shooting a hundred percent. But yeah. the process they had was pretty. I mean, they were just so in sync. It was incredible. And so, like, this is love. Is like the Warriors absolutely just awed you, where you were just like, God, this team is just insane. Well, their floor was like all time. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Spurs very rarely did that. They just can, and that was what made their point differential so consistently impressive to me because it was like, it was it wasn't that the Spurs were like blowing out teams by fifty every night. It was just like they would just consistently rack up 10, 12, 10, 12, 10, 12 point victories. Yeah, and like that's kind of the difference. Is like I think fans always want. You know, they if you're a Nuggets fan, you want to see like they you know, they beat the Clippers by thirty-five versus they beat ten teams by an average of eight points, which is really solid. Yeah, right? right? Like teams always and and fans is a lot, like they look at they look at the ceiling and they think that that's the team. Like they can be that team. I've seen it. My only thing is I'm just like where I'm at in, in watching basketball is I believe it's more about who are you consistently out of 10 times like yeah. out of every 10 games what kind of team do you look like and i'm i care more about you being consistent than being elite one game and then losing to the hawks the next um which this this nuggets team this year has been really weird because it's been kind of both where it's like they've dropped some games but they haven't like their problems with teams under 500 are not so bad that I've singled them out as this is a real weak point for them. And it's a real issue. They're about where, where the other teams are. They just, when they lose to these bad teams, they look horrible and it really reflects it. And the other thing is like, they have very few, like they have the fewest double digit wins uh, amongst the top teams in the league. And that, yeah, they don't do that. Yeah. That, <laughs> and, and like that honestly is a big problem because what it means is, think back start over from what that means is yeah and what that means is like i can't think back and find you like i can't list out all these games where oh they just killed that team like they just there were there were some i just can't really think of them off the top of my head because they were they were so rare and the other thing is just that you want every now and again to be able to be like this is our fastball you don't have yours and we're gonna put you in the dirt like you're going down you are our. You we have our best. You don't have yours, and you're gonna lose. And the Nuggets never really did that. A lot of that's because, like in most of the games where I think that they played their best, they got a really good version of a really good team. The Lakers games, the Rockets games, like most of their matchups, they got up for. But the problem was the other team was up for them too. Like they didn't have games like the Clippers game where the, the Nuggets just got outclassed. Very few teams yeah. came in and weren't ready for them. Yeah. Well, let's take a break because I feel like you're burying one important lead here. You glossed over about his shooting, and I want to talk about that because it answer. I think it's sort of the key to the next phase of Millsap's career. We'll be right back. Okay, back here on Locked On Nuggets uh, with Matt Moore. So Matt, he shot, and it's crazy. He shot Paul Millsap forty-four percent from the three-point line this year. And if you just go off of effective field goal percentage, I know you shouldn't, but if you did, this would have been his most efficient season he's had. 
he, as he lowers his lowered his usage, has sort of increased his efficiency, which is what you want to see, and I think that's what you expect to see from elite, um, you know, like fringe role player, star players, which is what he is. He's the, he's the Iguodala type who maybe, um, you know, who could carry a team. But if we look at it, Matt, and just look at okay, now he's added this three point shot to his arsenal. Is the can he? Can he have a role on the Denver Nuggets as sort of the stretch four that's just super low usage now? So I think he can be. I just don't know. I, th- I think, like, again, I think he transitions to a bench role. I think the ideal world for the Nuggets, you know, they gave him the $30 million this year, and that was a controversial decision, and I think based off of them swinging out on a lot of big options. Um, I think they had a sense before they gave him the option yeah. that they were like, we're not going to get anybody. Like, mm-hmm. we're not going to get a meeting. We're not going to get Kawhi. We're not going to get Kevin Durant. We're not going to get whoever. So we're not going to make any sort of additions. We might as well just give this to Paul as a goodwill gesture, use up the salary space, and then go on. Gave him the 30, and then I think that he probably returns next year at a very lower figure. And I think that like those bench units, I think, can be really good, um, depending on if they keep Mason or if they replace him with a Mason-like player. Um, I think Millsap next to a traditional center works. I think Millsap in a traditional, um, a traditional kind of set with uh, a point guard. All this is to say, like, I don't think that there are things that don't work with Millsap. It's it, and that's kind of the point. Is however you need Paul Millsap, I think Paul Millsap can do. So if they start Jeremy Grant next year, and Grant's awesome, but Jeremy suffers an ankle injury and is out three weeks, you're gonna be totally fine with Paul Millsap as oh, your, yeah. as, just the same way that when Paul Millsap went down, they were totally fine with Jeremy Grant stepped in. Yeah. Um, and like this is like a lot of it is just like whatever they need, and it's also I think it's important to to, to keep him. the sh- The shooting is is definitely great, but it's probably not sustainable. He's having a really good year. Yeah, forty four percent is like elite. Is elite. Uh, I also think though that the rebounding concerns, which you have listed, it's really good to have a guy that you know can go in there and get a board. Yeah, and yeah. and that doesn't really. If we look back at the history of guys as they've aged you don't see a lot of players of Millsap's caliber get worse at rebounding because so much of it is just strength and positioning and, and awareness of the ball. Like, yeah. it's not really athleticism. It's, it's, it's quite honestly, it's just like, that's why so many guys are sneaky good rebounders despite yeah. not being keepers. Is like, they just know how to get, they know where the ball is going to go. Well, there's the old line that, yeah, I don't remember, 80% of rebounds are below the rim or whatever. I, I don't even remember the percentage, but it's most. It's a majority. Yeah, and so like having him able to come in, like if you have a guy that, that all Paul Millsap does is he passes to the open man, he takes threes when he needs to, shoots a decent percentage, and rebounds. That's a really useful player. Like yeah. that's a, and a lot of people would say that's all he is now. I don't agree with that because that overlooks a lot of his post moves and his ability to fill the gaps, and especially his work on the defensive end. Um, I don't. Like, you get frustrated by people that argue that Millsap is like overrated or overpaid or whatever, and and like to me, it those don't bother me. It's it to me, it's like the people that argue Michael Jordan's overrated. I'm just like, oh okay, like oh there are people that think that. Like okay, that's fine. Doesn't bother me. Like okay, that's your take. That's <laughs> gonna put that over here. Millsap's yeah, really bothers, good. It bothers me a lot because like. I just feel like Paul Millsap is the kind of guy that it's very easy if you don't appreciate the NBA and you're watching it for takes or money or like you're just like wanting that sweet candy of highlights for you to not appreciate. And like I don't mean to be a snob about it. It's just like you can have those opinions. But when I tell you when I when I do this as much as I do and I pay attention to this much and I know like what coaches say about him and you watch all the stuff really up close. I don't understand like 
why you would be so certain to dismiss this guy that has accomplished so much in his career. Yeah. And it's like, what has he really done? It's like he's been on teams that have consistently contended for their conference title. And you can say, like, yeah, but he hasn't. Well, okay. The reductive like, nature. I mean, we just go through the last champions. You've got Kawhi. You've got KD, KD, LeBron, Curry. You know, like, it's just you're talking about the five best players in the, in the world. Those are the guys that have won. So is Paul Millsap one of the five best? No. Like, okay, let's not let's – not, <laughs> Let's not completely throw him out as this like scrub if he's not one of those five guys. That's I, I just I think a lot of it is like, do you, like what do you think of Kyrie Irving and what do you think of Paul Millsap? Now Kyrie's a better star, star, um, but like Paul Millsap's won everywhere he's gone. Yeah, everywhere yeah. he plays, he wins. Yeah. And he's yeah. low maintenance and he doesn't cause teammates to hate him and he's not a problem in the locker rooms and he does he's not a coach killer like. Paul Millsap is what I want on my team. Like I want Paul Millsap on my team. I will take Paul Millsap. And if that means that like I'm not going to hit as many fascinating, amazing step back jumpers, okay. But if you have a team of Paul Millsaps and one Kyrie Irving, you're going to be in a pretty good goddamn spot. Where where do you think the team would be without him though? Like so, one of my things next year is I really do think he's on a sharp decline. And look, he's 35 years old, and guys at that age, you know, these things happen quick. And so, I do think Denver needs to sort of come up with a, a new plan going forward. But at the same time, if they were to not have him on the roster, I would be worried that things could spiral on them. Like I think Jeremy Grant's great, might lose Mason Plumlee, might also lose Paul Millsap. I just I don't know. That's a huge question mark. Where do you think they would be if they just did not have him, but were able to keep Jeremy Grant? I think we have a lot of evidence the defense gets a lot worse. Yeah, um, and that's like that's a that's a thing that holds up their floor, which is already pretty low. Um, I think the big thing might be like okay, let's say that that Millsap left in free agency and went to join the Clippers. And uh, the Knicks offered Taj Gibson for a second rounder. Okay. Um, Taj is a very <laughs> he's old too. Yeah, he's very old. Um, Gibson's a very Paul Millsap like player, but Paul's better at literally everything. Like literally everything he's better at. Um, Gibson can't shoot, et cetera. Um, that's like a decent fill in. And I like Taj Gibson quite a bit. He's just really old at this point. Um, you're probably talking about a drop per game in terms of point differential of something like maybe 0.3 to 0.5, which sounds like, well, that's nothing. That's a lot. That's, 0.3. That's, a, lot. that's well, a huge amount. Like, that is a huge amount in the NBA for one player to make that much of a difference. And so, like, that, that, that is a fundamental change over the course of a season in probably two to three games. And two to three games takes you from a fourth seed to a seventh seed. Like, that to me is the differential. If they lose Millsap and they do not find an adequate replacement, um, they are going to get worse considerably and it's like again i'm not saying that keeping milsat means that they're going to be better it's that losing milsat means they're going to be worse i saw so he would did like an ama on instagram the other day in between doing magic tricks and he said that he was somebody asked him if he wants to stay in denver and he said something like hell yeah i do or something like that like i know players say this all the time but i really you know with milsat i really think it he talked last year about how he's writing the end of his story and he has a specific way he wants to write it. He even joked, I could go to the Warriors and I'd probably win a title, but I want to do this my way. And it sure sounded to me like his way meant doing it here in Denver, finishing out in here in Denver. Um, so do you expect him to be back next year? And if so, like, what are the, what are the terms? I firmly expect him to be back next year. Uh, I, I just too. think, 
I think if, if, if he was going to go, he would have said this summer and been like, I want to win a title. He would have gone to Tim Connell and been like, I want to win a title. Don't take the option. Or I wouldn't want. I want to make more money, so I'm going to sign a three or four year or something like that. Yeah, none of the yeah. neither of those two things seem to be a priority for him. Like there's two there's two choices for him at this point. He takes a minimum with one of the title contenders, or he takes a three to four year deal with a team like Orlando. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And like he go like he makes more money because they can't get other free agents, and that's how it goes. And like that can be like there are a lot of guys that choose that path. There are a lot of guys that choose that path. When he signed here. It was like this was his one, his one last big free agency, and he knew like like the home the the ties from where he grew up were very important to him. Um, he likes the organization. I think he knows how good Jokic is. I think he likes the fact that he's not in a media market where he's going to have to do a bunch of stuff. Like he has to talk. Like he slips out a lot of time when Joker's talking. Like I have to catch him. Yeah. I'm the guy to talk to Paul as much as I can. And like I have to stop him because he's always trying to slip out the door because he can here can't slip out the door in LA it's different, um, and so I I just don't get the sense that for him he wants and the other thing is I I will say this I think a lot of it's playing time right I think he'd be okay with coming off the bench but I don't think he's gonna be okay with like hey we're gonna resign you and like you're gonna be like end of the bench and you're just like Udonis Haslam that's not what Millsap wants he's gonna be like all right I, I'm willing to come off the bench. If you think Jeremy's better at this point, because I he, like he's real about where he's at, um, and honestly, part of it, this is what's honestly impressive about Paul is I think Paul is in, into the idea of saving his body. I think Paul's like, yeah, like if I only had like I, he doesn't want to play less than ten minutes, but he doesn't. I don't think he wants to play more than thirty. Oh man, he I think absolutely. Like even the injury this year, I just felt like it was like you know what I could sit out a little while. I'm gonna get this thing all the way back to to good, not cool. not come back early. And I do think that's important for him. Yeah, uh, and I, I think. He, I think he comes back, and I think he comes back on like a, you know, maybe a four thirty-two. That maybe even high four twenty-four, based off of the new projections with the, with the losses. It might be like four twenty, um, and then from there, I think he plays like, I think he plays like fifteen to twenty minutes off the bench. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's what I think too. And but I'm gonna, I'm going to go even lower on the number because I actually could envision a scenario where the Nuggets do not bring him back. The Nuggets, I think he wants to be back. I think they would take him back at the right number. And I just wonder. I've wondered this from the start. There's a lot of reasons the Nuggets did the three year, ninety million dollar deal. They got the player option on the back. I think they fully anticipated having the flexibility to decline that if they wanted to. They obviously didn't want to last year. But I just feel like that was a little bit of a, hey, we're going to pay you early to not pay you late. So maybe this is wishful thinking, but I kind of think he might come back on one of those minimum deals and finish out his career on like a three-year just super minimum deal. I think going from $30 million to two is hard. Um, I think also, I think if you, if you, I think he has a level of professional pride. I think that if you say, you know, hey, if you want to come back for the minimum, that's great. He's just going to be like, if I'm just going to make the minimum, I'm going to go chase a title. Like, if it's anything above a minimum, if it's the mid-level, no problem. But Do, I, do you I, think it's I, contingent at all on what Denver does in the offseason? I mean, do you think there's like a scenario where he's like, okay, I'm going to wait and see what the Nuggets do and say they end up bringing in a big name without losing, you know, key pieces? Do you think he's like, oh, now this is the contender? I don't think that Paul Millsap is going to look at the league – and if Denver gets Bradley Beal, or let's get let's get wild, uh, Bradley Beal, Paul George, or Jimmy Butler, 
none of those are, are no two of those are, are very unlikely. To <laughs> yeah. Uh, but let, let's say that that's the level of star that they got. Millsap is not going to look at that team and be like, and, and be like, oh yeah, we're going to win the title or we like, you think? No, eh, I don't know. You want, you want to know why? Why? He's been beaten by LeBron James a lot. Yeah, but there's not a LeBron after LeBron. I mean, LeBron is, is in his same age bracket. Yeah, but LeBron's also still LeBron. Also, you know, I know something, man. We sit here and say that. We're probably right. 99% of the times we're right. But I just don't know that those guys sit there and say, like, man, I'll never beat LeBron no matter what. I, th- I think they always think, like, even the most rational of them think, yeah, it's tough. I'm the underdog. But you know what? I want that fight. So Yeah, no, he wants the chance. That's why he still does it. And they're like... Like I, I completely agree on that point. I think I just don't I, I will say this, like if, if you're trying to get to the argument where he's like I don't see any scenario where Paul Millsap would believe the Denver Nuggets are the favorite to win the title. He is too rational. Do you think that this uh this I just thought of this just now, but say the league comes back in June, we play through June, July, finish early August, and then you're back again in September, whatever, and it's a short off season. Do you think that affects players like Paul Millsap who have kids in school and it's like, man, I just didn't even have enough time to change schools and do all that. Like it, it almost incentivizes them to stay put because figuring everything out in a regular summer where you have three months is tough. Figuring it out in like seven weeks is even tougher. Adam, Paul Millsap made $30 million this year. He can pay for <laughs> his kid at any time. Hey, man, it's still a hassle. you got to find a house. you got to do all that. I don't know. He can pay someone to do all that uh, work. All right. Well, fair enough. Um, all right. Well, that's Paul Millsap. Uh, he did have an interesting year this year, and I think how Nuggets handle him going forward is going to be I, I, it's going to be really, really fascinating and probably determine a bit of their, their future, in my opinion. Um, so that'll be fun to watch whenever it is that that takes place. This year, next year, never, who knows? Um, we'll all find out together. All right, Matt. Thanks so much, man. Take care, man. Everybody else have a great day.